0: Right, we are in the last lesson for the Disciple, Discipling is Jesus Discipled series. I am hoping you got something out of it. It'd be interesting to hear. If you, if you have anything that, that really stuck out at you this series, let me know. I'd like to hear that, how it affected you, or if it didn't affect you at all, I'd like to know that too. said, so what in the world are we doing all those weeks? Let me know. <laughs> where, did we, where did we start out with... Um, we were in John 17 for quite a while, but we started in which, which verse? Do you all remember? Matthew 4.19. Matthew 4.19. Which he, Jesus is saying, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Which is where we jumped off from. It's got that three-part three breakdown. The come, follow me is the relational part. Then I will make you is the intentional part. Right. And that was the John 17 part, really. You know, looking at kind of what Jesus intended to do with the disciples, how he intentionally poured himself into the disciples. And then we end with the missional part. I will make you fishers of men. There's a reason for Jesus pouring himself into these people. There's a reason that he, that he spent this time with them, because they're going to carry the message on. They're going to carry the gospel out. And here's that missional part. Here's the intentional, the relational all coming together, and now Jesus says, go. I made you fishers of men, now go. Here is that part. Now, we, we've got a good class on Wednesday night. Uh, Art is going through the prophets, all the prophets. And last week, we went through Jeremiah. And it was something about that class. It was a good class. It was one of the better ones, I think, we had. And it was just, maybe it was, you know, how that, it's, it's your perspective of the class, Right? For me, it was, a, it was a really good class. Somebody else could be sitting in the same class thinking, I'm getting nothing out of it. But for me, Jeremiah, was that, that night was really good. And I was thinking along the lines of Jeremiah 8.12. If you want to turn over there really quickly, turn over to your Bibles, Jeremiah 8.12. We talk about being missional in this world. Jesus has sent his disciples, and he continues to send his disciples. And the disciples will be continually sent until he comes again. We're gonna be going out, we should be going out. Jeremiah, we talked about this wicked nation. People that are not listening to their God, that are turning to other things for protection, that are that are sacrificing other idols, they just are going any which way but God. 812, Jeremiah says, Were they ashamed because of the abomination they had done? They certainly were not ashamed. And they did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. At the time of their punishment, they shall be brought down, declares the Lord. Ah, we talked about nations being judged. I, I still think nations are being judged today. And sometimes I wonder how long does it take for America to be brought to its knees. And maybe seen, we've seen some of that already. Maybe it, maybe more is in the future. But And how long... Has it been since you've looked at media and they blush at things? We don't blush very much anymore as, as a country to things that are, that are contrary to the Word of God. There's not even a, uh, for me, I, I don't even see a sense of uh, respect a lot of times. Just genuine respect for, for God or for people who say, I believe in God. Just a general respect is, is kind of lost even in this country here. Not to mention other parts of the world. and other parts of the world have it much worse than us. Now, that, that's for sure. None of my friends and I haven't been under the threat of actually dying for my faith. There's other parts of the world where that happens. Man, it, it's, it's been happening. It'll always happen until Christ comes again. But for us in this country, maybe we're looking at the nation being judged. Who knows what we're looking at for the future? But, man, this country has forgotten how to blush. People have forgotten how to blush. Because we're not listening to God anymore. Amen. But we here, sitting here this morning, we listen to God. Or we should be. Amen. We should be listening, we should be intentionally being discipled by Jesus and taking that message out. Now the people in Jeremiah, they need a wake-up call. This world needs a wake-up call. And again, in Jeremiah 31, if there's there's... There's a judgment coming to the people, but there's also this hope that Art was talking about Wednesday night. There's a hope for them. And in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, there's not only just a hope for them. There's a hope for the entire world, for us today, where he says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, while I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers. Boy, what do they do? He took them by the hand to lead them out of, the, of Egypt, my covenant which they broke. And he says, although I was a husband to them, but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And there's hope there, not only for the people there in Jeremiah's time, but for us today, there's hope. He's talking about Jesus Christ coming, this new covenant that's coming. He's replacing this covenant, and he's saying, "I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Everybody's going to get involved in this new covenant too. And by that time, our sin's going to be forgiven. Their sin, their iniquity, I'll remember no more. All of this is going to happen. That's what we read about in the New Testament. That's what we talk about in class Sunday morning. This this new covenant. This Jesus Christ who came to fulfill." the hope that Jeremiah talked about in chapter 8. But that's the hope that we get to go out there and preach. But do we preach it enough? Do we live it enough? Do we look like people that are called out? Or do we look like people that are trying to blend in in this world? That's where we're going to end up here this morning. In Matthew 10, I want to go to Matthew 10 to finish up the missional part Of this section of scripture, or this section of these lessons here, and I wrestled with how to present this this morning because I've I've got two big parts of this, and I I decided this morning at the spur of the moment in the back, I changed part of my prezi after my computer started running again (laughs) to to change it around because I think we're going to start here with Matthew ten, where he gives. Mission principles for a principal mission, where Jesus says, "I want you to go. This is a principal mission of yours, and let me let me give you some principles for this mission." I, I like the way Jesus sends them out here in John or John Matthew ten. Been in John so long, forgot where I am. Matthew ten. He says the very first there, one through four. Read them with me. Having summoned the twelve disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out to heal every kind of disease, every kind of sickness. Now, the names of the twelve apostles are these. The first, Simon, who is called Peter, Matthew, or, and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax gatherer, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. In those four verses here, this is this is part of what I see here. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. It's it's a slang term, but I love it. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Because look at look at the look at the people you got listed there. Who do you got listed there? The one who betrayed him, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. That guy's being sent out by Jesus on this mission here. Reminds me to check myself on a daily basis. As you see, these guys, who who knows at this point that Judas Iscariot is the guy that's going to betray Jesus? Who knows? He looks like just everybody else right now. To the rest of the disciples, he looks like another disciple. He's the guy sitting on Sunday morning where we are right now, and he looks just like everybody else. But his destination is different. In in, in in this guy's heart right now, he's probably a little bit different than the rest. And at some point, he gets completely different than the rest. Check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. Jesus is sending us out on a mission. But if we sit here with a heart that says, I'd rather steal from the purse here that, that he's given me to watch than actually do what he's wanting. If I sit here and think, I'm, I'm okay, just like Bill was saying this morning, I'm okay with understanding knowledge about Jesus. That's going to save me. Because I know him, because I know these things about him, but I don't really know him. My heart has not really been affected by him, changed by him. These people all look the same, but there's one here who's drastically different. When Jesus is sending us out them out on their mission, there's one here that, that's got a big problem, just like maybe one of us sitting here this morning. He's sending us out on a mission. but you better check yourself. Are you really ready for that mission? Are you really sold out to Jesus? Are you really giving him all of you? Do you really want him? Or are you just sitting here with facts in your mind? Come to the the mental assent that, yeah, Jesus is who he says he is. That's good enough for me. And that's as far as it goes. We've got to be sold out for Jesus, not like Judas here, who's listed among them but says clearly, this is the guy who betrayed Jesus. There's rotten beams in this house, but you can't see them until they fall through you got to be careful. But look at after he lists who they send out. Look at verses 5 through 10. These are the first set of principles that I want to look at. 5 through 10. These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, saying, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter any city of the Samaritans. But rather, go to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out the demons. Freely you received, freely give do not acquire gold or silver, silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two tunics or sandals or a staff for the work worker is worthy of his support. The first thing I see in, in this section here is what we commonly refer to as synergy here. Jesus sends them out how? In pairs. He sends them out together. He sends them out to help each other. You're going out. I'm going to send you out together here. Do not go in the way of the Gentiles. Do not enter in the city here. Rather go to that lost sheep of Israel. He lists them in pairs here. He sends them out in pairs and other places. He He's going to rely on others helping each other. There's going to be some synergy here between the apostles. When I go out, I'm not alone. I've got my brothers and my sisters here too. I've got people I can call for help. When I encounter a problem in a study. I don't have to be the one that knows everything. Thank goodness. I can call other people. I can I can ask Bill, I can ask somebody else, I can ask Carl, I can ask Darren. Have you ever run across this what what, what is this? L- help me understand this. Now, if you understand this, l- let's go study with this guy. There, there's plenty of opportunities for synergy among God's people. Two muscles working together. And I think Jesus is all about that here. He's all about that in other places. He sends them out two by two. He sends them out together so that they can work off of each other, so that they can build each other up, so they can help each other. The whole purpose of Ephesians 4, building each other up. There's synergy in the body of Christ. There's working together in the body of Christ. We're not an island. You don't get to just be out there all by yourself. In fact, you're probably going to get hurt out there all by yourself. There's a purpose for being together. First thing I see there is synergy, being together. Numbers, number two, I see specialization in Jesus' mission here. And that specialization, he says, don't go into any of the Samaritan cities here. Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. There's a, there's a special message here for them right now. Yes, okay. And that's special. That's selective. It's, it's very selective at this point. But that message doesn't stay selective, does it? Right now, he's saying, go to the lost sheep of Israel. But even in Jesus' going to the lost sheep of Israel, when a Gentile came to him, he, he, he couldn't do anything but help. He couldn't do anything but comment on the faith of some people that were not from the lost sheep of Israel. The faith that was so great that puts the lost sheep of Israel to shame. So, Jesus is saying, here, go to the lost sheep of Israel, but... The message is not just to the lost sheep of Israel anymore. but This specialization I see also is, this is a special message. It's a special message to the house lost sheep of Israel. But when you get to Matthew chapter 28, and he says, go into all the world and take this special message to all of the world. There's only one message we have to take. There's a specialized message we have to take. That's it. We don't have to take anything else. We don't have to worry about anything else. We have to tell them about the gospel. We have to tell them about Jesus Christ. That's it. It's very simple to remember. Take this specialized message to these people and preach the word. That's what he's telling them here. And he says to us the same thing. You go with your brothers and sisters. Take this specialized message into the world and preach it. That's it. It's it's easy. Tell them about me. Tell them what I did. Tell them who I am. That's all you have to do. The third thing there is the message there in verse 7. Go and preach. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. 28, 19 through 20 of Matthew, chapter 28 there. Matthew 16. Uh, Just go preach the word. Go live the word. That's all you got to do. It's really, it is pretty simple when you really think about it. The message is simple. It's a man. It's not a plan. It's a man. You preach Jesus Christ, you don't have anything else to worry about. You tell him what he did. You tell him who he is. That's about it. (laughs) It's amazing. Fourth thing I see here is free service. There when he says, heal the sick, do all of this stuff, don't acquire gold. Freely you've received, freely give. Now this message of ours does not come with a a price. You don't have to pay me to tell you about Jesus. Not only do you not have to pay me, but actually I'll be willing to to help you i'll be willing to to contribute to you i'll be willing to pay you i'll take you out to lunch and pay you well you know, give you food that, that costs money yeah you gotta eat so let's go out and eat you it won't cost you a thing other than your time i'll pay them. You know freely i've been given i'm gonna freely give i i, I like free things who, who doesn't like free things right and Bible programs are can be expensive, right? There's one on, on, that, I've, that I've loved ever since I found it, and they keep updating. It gets better. It's called eSword. And it's absolutely free, except unless you want it on your phone. For some reason, on your phone, it costs money. I don't know. Anyway, but on the, he, he uses that verse. You know, freely I've been given. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to freely receive. He's written the program. He's done all this stuff, and he gives it to you for free. And it's pretty cool. It's, it's a good way to study the Bible. I like that idea. I haven't been charged. I'm going to give it to you for free. Jesus wants you to hear this message let me get the barriers out of the way and let's let's just talk about Jesus free service number five supporting workers that one's a favorite of mine because I preach so supporting workers that's a good one right yeah no supporting workers here here I don't see so much you know pay for a preacher here that, that's not what I'm talking about supporting workers here I'm even thinking when I'm going out and I'm preaching and people want to help me People want to take me out to lunch, people want to do something for us to help support us, fine, help support us, that's great, freely I've been given, I'll receive, you want to give me to preach to you, sure, I'll do that. There's some little principles here that lead to bigger principles, so we've got synergy, specialization, the message itself, we've got the service and we've got supporting workers here, but that leads into the next section of Matthew. Matthew 11 through 42. And there's a couple more principles of evangelism, I think, in here. It almost starts off the same way because the first principle I see is it's selective again. Look at verse 11. Into whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and abide there until you go away. And as you enter the house, give it your greeting. And if the house is worthy, let the greeting of peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your greeting of peace return to you. Selective. Again, I see here Jesus saying, if they are going to listen to you, then stay. If they're going to receive you, then then work with them. If they're not, well, then move on. I I see a selective thing here for me, too. If you're going to be willing to listen, I'll, I'll sit and talk with you. And I'll sit and talk with you as long as it takes. We'll meet for years. I met with brothers for years before we got to the point of even them seeing, oh, that's for me. But as long as you're willing to listen, then I'm willing to sit down with you and talk. The moment you say, I never want to hear this again. Okay, fine. I can stop talking to you about that then. I'll move on. Maybe someday you'll come back. Maybe somebody else will reach you. But it may not be me. I think there's some selectiveness in our messages. I don't have to be the one that reaches everybody. But I do have to pay attention to people. If they're going to be willing to talk to me, I need to be willing to talk to them. If they're not going to talk to me, then perhaps I need to move on to the next person. And God is saying, Robert, i got somebody else for you down the line. Let somebody else worry about that person. Or maybe they've chosen already. I don't know. But I'm going to move to where the, the where the message is open and received here. second thing I see here is <clears throat> ready, being ready for persecution here. That, that that's really happening down there, and the rest. Well, most of the rest of that there. I want to start off in uh, fourteen. Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake off the dust of your shake the dust off of your feet. Truly, I say to you that it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware, men, for they will deliver you up to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. You shall even be brought before governors and kings for my sake, and as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not become anxious about what you will speak, for it will be given you in that hour. We've given you in that hour what you are to speak. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. And brother will deliver up brother to death; father his child. And children will raise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. You'll be hated by all on account of my name. But it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in this city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you shall not finish the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Man, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor is a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he has become as his teacher and a slave as his master... If they called the head of the household Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? You're going to get some persecution. You're going to get some kickback from the world. It's the same thing that, that, that happens all over the... Well, all through time, really. Anytime you speak truth, those who don't want to hear truth are going to kick back. The world's going to kick back. Satan's going to kick back. In fact, it reminds me again of Jeremiah... If you want, go back over to Jeremiah. A lot of times, like Jesus says, he doesn't say, you know, if you've been persecuted in this town, uh, go to the next town and just shut your mouth because you don't want to get yourself into trouble. He says, go to the next town and do the same thing if they don't, if they don't listen in this town. <clears throat> in Jeremiah 20, it sounds a lot like what he's saying here. When you, start to, when you start to speak out, when you start to tell the truth, in verses 8 and 9, he says, For each time I speak, I cry aloud. And what does the, the world hear? And he says, I proclaim violence and destruction. And the world hears, oh, you're persecuting me. Oh, you're, 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 you're homophobic. You're this, you're that. You're... But when we speak the truth, what we speak is the truth. But he says, each time I speak aloud, I cry aloud, I proclaim violence and destruction because for me, the word of the Lord has resulted in reproach and derision all day long. Anytime I speak the word of the Lord, derision. But if I will say, okay, I'm not going to remember him or speak his name anymore. And there there again is that, that same hearkening back to Jesus saying, you know, if you go to another town, just keep your head down. No, he says, if you go to another town, you start over. If that town doesn't like it, you go to another town. Or if that house doesn't like it, you go to another house. But you don't just stop. And that's what he's saying here. I, if I say I won't remember his name or speak his name anymore, then what happens? My heart becomes like a burning fire. It's shut up in my bones, and I'm weary of holding it in. That, that truth, that gospel, has to come out. He says, I can't endure it. I can't, I've got to talk. If I say I, I'm just lying to myself, I'm not going to be silent, I'm going to say something. And that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. You can't be silent, you've got to say something. And if they want you to move on, then move on and say something somewhere else. But you say something, period. When you go, you say, with your mouth or with your actions, both actually, you go. And that's what the rest of this section here, 26 through 33, is really talking about fearing God and not man. Because... When I, when I think about going with the message that the world doesn't like, that could get you into a lot of trouble. That could cause a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of anguish. But in the ultimate end of the things, I don't fear man, I fear God. I fear the one who can kill both the body and the soul, not the body only. Take away this vessel, you can't touch the soul. There's one who can, and I want his approval, not yours. That's 26 through 23, fear God, not man, period. In fact, in verses 36 through, go over to 36 through 39, when he's again talking about enemies here, he's come to set a father against daughter and mother and and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the enemies or the members of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life shall lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. He's saying, you put me first. You fear God, not man, and you put me first. Above family, above friends, above what the world says, you put me first. And you take up your cross, and you follow me. Which leads me to one of the last ones here, the fact that the reward is shared here. Look at verses 40 through the end of that chapter. He who receives you receives me. He who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Rewards are shared here between us. Rewards are shared between God and us. We've done it to him. We've done it. When we do it here, we do it to Him. When we when we feed somebody here, we're feeding Jesus. When we visit somebody in a prison, we're visiting Jesus. There's a shared part here, that 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 is beyond my explanation here. Really, I mean, Jesus sees what we're doing. We're doing this for Him because we fear Him, because we love Him, because we know we put Him first. But when, when I look at all these 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 things about Jesus sending out the disciples, I I wonder. Why did the disciples go out with confidence here? Did they go out with confidence? What, what did they see in Jesus before he says, okay, I'm going to send you out and do all this stuff? Now, here's where I was, I was struggling with the, the, the structure of the sermon because before I started the opposite way, but I, I wanted to kick off with he sent them out. And why are they so ready to go out? Why are they, why are they ready to do what he's telling them to do here, at least in part? You know, we know they're not fully trained. We know they're not fully ready yet but he's sending them out because he's made them somewhat ready to do what he's asking them to do in the previous two chapters that's where he makes them ready Amen. now I, I want to run through those really quickly because when, when you ask yourself well how do i do all of this how am i going out how am i doing all of these 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 principles of evangelism and 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 living a life that says i believe god i'm going to shake the dust off my feet i'm going to speak because i'm supposed to speak I'm going to live because I'm supposed to live like this for Jesus. Here's why the disciples did it, and here's why we can do it. Because they saw it in Jesus. Because they saw it demonstrated by Jesus himself in chapters 8 and 9, which lead right up to 10, where he says, okay, now you go. Right after he's gone and he's shown them, now he says, now you go. Look at what he did in chapter 8, 1 through 4. I'm going to have to run through these kind of quickly. So I'm not going to read the entire chapters here because there's too much in these two. Chapters 8, 1 through 4. I see him touching the untouchable. He goes to this leper and he touches him. And he cleanses him. There is nothing out of reach for Jesus. That's exactly what he shows these disciples here. There's nothing out of reach for me. I'm going to touch the untouchable. I'm going to touch him. I'm going to cleanse him. In 5 through 13, I see Jesus going the distance here. There is nothing too far for him to, to do. When the centurion comes and says, I need your help. And he says, I've got slaves. They, say, they, they, they do what I tell them to do. I know you can do what you can do from here. And Jesus does it from there. There's, there's a, a lord of the distance here. He's saying there's nothing too, too untouchable for me. There's also nothing too far for me to his disciples when he heals this man. He goes the distance. The very next thing, in verses 14 through 15, there is nothing too small for Jesus. He goes right there to Peter's house, and his mother, Peter's mother-in-law has a headache. And Jesus has just come from doing some many big, big things, and he heals this small headache. Now, for those who have migraines and headaches, that's not really small when you have them, Right? I know mine aren't small when I have them. They're, they're life-ending headaches for me, or at least it feels like it. But you go from, from doing what he just did to, I'm going to heal your headache. There's nothing too small for this Jesus. There's nothing too, too untouchable. There's nothing too far, and there's nothing too small for him to do. That's what he's showing the disciples. Because if you miss the small things, you might miss the big thing there in 16 through 17. When evening comes, what happens? Everybody comes to that place. Everybody brings their, their hurt people, their their sick people, and what does he do? He heals them. That's a lot of stuff going on right there. He goes from nothing too small to there's nothing too big. You can bring me them all and, and I can take care of them. Jesus can take care of all of them. Then look at eighteen through nineteen. He says, Don't worry about it. You're not in control. Don't worry about any of this stuff here. 18 through 19, he starts talking to them about the cost of discipleship here. He says, this this is what's going to cost you to be a disciple. I'll follow you wherever you go. Okay, let me tell you what I've got. I've got nothing. I don't even have a place to lay my head. Do you still want to follow me? You better count the cost before you decide to follow me. There's the cost of discipleship sandwiched in between all of these miracles that he's doing, showing the disciples, this is what you do. When I send you out, Let's look at verses 23 through 27. Now nature is at his command. There's nothing to beyond Jesus here. Nature is at his command. All of these things are at his command. 28 through 34, Jesus again, this, this demon-filled man, or men actually in, in Matthew here, two demon-filled men coming out of the tombs. There's nothing beyond his command in spiritual realm. There's nothing beyond his command in the physical realm. Nature's at his command, spirits are at his command. He's showing his disciples all of this here. And that leads us right into chapter 9, verses 1 through 8, where he heals that paralytic man and he says, "Which one's easier to say, right? Let me show you that I have the power over sin." So he says, "Nothing's too big, nothing's too small, nothing's too far, nothing's too great." I can control nature and I can control the spirits. And let me show you now that I have the power over sin itself. Power over sin. Look at verses 18 through 26 of chapter 9. Here, again, power over continual problems, this woman who was bleeding. And power over what else? Death. Death. Power over continual problems. This is a continual problem for this woman. It can't be taken care of. Jesus takes care of it. Power over death. Jesus takes care of it. 32 through 34. Power over spiritual and speech. Again, this man who is dumb and demonic here. Power over all of that. And all of that leads to chapter 10 where Jesus says, Okay, now you go. And I look at 10 and I say, man, what have they seen? Well, they've seen all of this in 8 and 9. They've seen all of it, this, this stuff that Jesus is doing. And now he says, okay, now you go do. Un- un- cast unclean spirits out. Heal every kind of disease, every kind of sickness. You go do exactly what I just did. You go take care of what I'm just taking care of. It's not because I'm just going to see if you can sink or swim. It's because I've actually shown you. I've walked you through this. I've given you clues here on how to do and what to do. Now you go do. Jesus says go. He has the power over sin, power over continual problems, giving you sight and speech. Now go. That's what he says there in chapter 10. Now go and be like me. Go and be like me. Go and touch the untouchable person. And that that could be for you and me today too. How many untouchable people do you meet on a daily basis? You meet that man or woman on the, next to the McDonald's or next to the street corner that might be kind of hard to touch. That's, that's an untouchable. Go touch that person. Jesus says, I can do it. Then you can do it. Go touch the untouchable person. He also says, go the distance, right? Go the distance. And I see Jesus not only healing from a, from a far distance away. I, I see that for me physically and spiritually i'm going to go the distance for my brother and sister i need to go the distance for people who aren't my brothers and sisters it's the same i'll go the distance in relationship i'll sit with you until we can finally understand each other i'll 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 sit and study with you like i said before until you either tell me never to come back or you finally see who jesus is I'll go the distance with you, just like Jesus went the distance, and just like he expected his disciples to go the distance. I also see us the same way as as not being able to pass on the small things. So many times I've passed people that are untouchables, and I think, I don't have time for that right now. It's a small thing. I could easily stop and do something really quickly, but I don't. And if I pass on the small things... My eyes may not even be open for the big things. Because if I don't take advantage of what God has sent into me in the small ways, if I'm not faithful in little, I'm not sure he's going to entrust me a bigger mission. He says, yeah, I want you to pay attention to the small, and I want you to pay attention to the big. I want you to just pay attention, period. If you see somebody at McDonald's, and you think, I should give them five bucks. I should buy them lunch, breakfast, whatever. Then go do it. Small." Maybe that opens your eyes to the bigger thing. Who knows? Jesus says, don't don't forget the small, don't forget the big. And most of all, don't worry. Because it's out of your control anyway. Don't worry. I've got you. You're not in control of this world. It's going to spin out of control. But as long as you're in me, you've got no problems. You've got no spiritual problems. You might have worldly problems. Well, we've got a Heavenly Father who can take care of that. Amen. And even if we go down in flames in the world, our soul is secure. Because Jesus has power over sin. Yes. He showed that to the disciples. I've got power over nature. I've got power over sin. Let me prove it to you. I've got power over sin. I've got power over continual problems. I've got power over death. I can give you new sight and new speech. That's what he does for these people here. That's what he did for the disciples. That's what he does for us. We have been given new life. We've been given new sight, new speech. Now we just need to go and be like Jesus. It's as simple as that. And as complex as that at the same time. Because we've actually got to do it. We've got to make the effort to go. To do the small things. To do the big things. And you know what those are in your life. I'm sure you know. When I say small things, you can probably think of something in your life right now that was a small thing, that is a small thing, that you could do. Somebody you could reach, somebody you could talk to, somebody you could just say, I'm giving you this because God gave me everything. It's simple. But we need to do it. If we're going to be discipled as Jesus, discipled his disciples, and we actually do this, this missional part of his mission here, if he says, come follow me, we've started a relationship with Jesus, and then we have been intentionally discipled by him, then the next step is to go and do what he says to do. Just like 8 9. I'm going to intentionally show you who I am. I'm going to intentionally show you what you're going to be doing in chapter 10. Okay, here's chapter 10. Now go and do what you saw me do. Just go and be like me. Go and be like Jesus. Go and live like him. Simple as that. I want you to do that this week. Look for the small. Don't forget the big. Go the distance. There's nothing too small. There's nothing too big for Jesus. There better not be anything too small or big for us either. Go and be like him this week to your friends, to your family, to this world that needs him so desperately much. Do that this week as we stand and as we sing.